All right. How many of you are ready for the Word of God? All right. Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Most of uh, the scriptures that I'm going to use today will appear on the overhead, but there are a few that did not get into um, the presentation. And so have your Bibles handy. There's, I think, two passages that I'm going to use that won't show up on the overhead. That's good. Get your Bible out and uh, dig in. Dig into the Word. Um, This is a part of a series that we've been doing called First Things First. And I'm going to preach today and the next two Sundays around prayer. And are you ready for this one? Fasting. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Y'all stop looking at me like that, all right? Fasting. Everybody say fasting. You know the fun thing about fasting? It's not very fast. Have you noticed that? It's not, especially if you go on an extended fast. It doesn't seem to go very fast. But we're, we're going to talk about prayer and fasting. And we've been in a series called First Things First. If we would just do the first things first, everything in our life would fall into place. There's a quote uh, from C.S. Lewis. And he said this, he said, to put first things first is not to diminish the second things. In fact, it enhances them. Does that make sense? To put first things first does not diminish the second things, it enhances them. When you put God and his kingdom first, it strengthens your family. It blesses you in your vocation, in your career, right? It'll bless you in your relationships, Because all those things are secondary under Christ and his kingdom. When we put Christ first, Christ and his kingdom first, it blesses everything else in our life. When we have our life well-ordered, where we're putting first things first, it blesses our life. So we've been talking about some some simple things like worship. We've been talking about even church attendance. We talked to Pastor Bill, talked about, about our giving, right, the first fruits, putting God first in our finances. I think he talked about that last week. And this week, prayer. If if we just do these simple things, you will be amazed at how it affects your life. You don't think church attendance matters? It matters big time, right? I want to encourage you, be faithful to the house of the Lord and show up early. If, if we could get the group that's sitting in this building just to be faithful and to show up a little bit early and look for something to do, I, I believe this. We could reach this entire metro area if the body of Christ would just do the simple things, right? We, we always think it's about the grandiose, right? Like if we could have this big event, then we would impact the city. Now, how do you reach the city? By doing the little things, one thing at a time, faithfully, day by day, right? It's required of of God's people that they would be found faithful. It's required of a steward that he would be found faithful. Just being faithful in the little things makes a big difference. It matters to to your family. It matters to your church. It matters to your vocation, your career. Doing the little things well. Being faithful to the kingdom of God and the, the, the principles of God's word will revolutionize your life. So let's dive into this. We're going to talk about the priority of prayer today. Are you all ready? All right. I want, I want us to change our lives in regards to prayer. I do. I want us to become a people of prayer. Right? We, in American culture, have built the church to be something that I think in God's view is totally foreign. We come with an expectation to church that we're going to be entertained, right? That the music's going to be nice and the preacher's going to say some nice words that are really going to make us feel good and edify us and encourage our lives. And and I hope that my words do make you feel good. I hope that my words edify and build you and encourage you. Yes. But this is not some worldly institution. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Churches have cut out some of the most important aspects of worship for the sake of placating and pleasing people, right? I was telling our our, uh, worship team and our our servant leaders uh, this morning, we have a huddle every morning before our service. I I have a friend in Iowa. His name is Pastor Stephen White, 
And uh, we, were, we were there. That's actually when Pastor Bill was preaching in November. Rachel and I went. It was their 10-year anniversary. And Stephen's a very close friend of mine. We've been friends for 25 years. And they asked us to come and minister for their 10th anniversary and surprise Pastor Stephen. And we got there. They had not announced any kind of a special service or anything to the church. When we got there, we couldn't find a parking place. We had to park in the grass. Every chair in the building was full. And when we, when we went in... Uh, we, we, we got there right at start time and the people kept coming in behind us. And this is, this is in a, it's, it's literally out in a, in a cornfield in, in Iowa. They're in a small town called Osage, Iowa, but they were making deep impact. And the, Pastor Stephen, I was actually, I saw Pastor Stephen had lunch with him and a few friends while we were in Minneapolis last weekend. And Pastor Stephen shared a story with us that a, a few months back, he made a declaration to the church that says this, we're, we're not going to make church about us. We're not going to make church about you anymore. We're going to make it about Jesus. Right? This whole seeker-sensitive movement. He said, we're, it's not about pleasing people. We are here to please the Lord. And before we ever begin to minister to people, we as a church are going to minister to the Lord. There, there's a concept we've got to understand if we can grasp that, it will revolutionize our ministry. Our, we, we're not called so much to minister to people as we are to minister to the Lord. And when we do that, needs get met. God shows up and he begins to work, right? That's got to be a priority for us. So they, they did this, uh, they made this proclamation. He was preaching and made this proclamation to the church. That church service turned into six hours without anybody leaving the building, and he said, we don't do this by design, but every church service since then has been four hours. And they're not having to ask people to stay. Like, they're dismissing, and people are sticking around and worshiping and praying in the altar and ministering and laying hands on each other and praying for each other and encouraging. And God is showing up and working because they made a determination to make him the priority. So the church house is not supposed to be a place of entertainment. Jesus made the declaration, the proclamation. He said, my house shall be called, what? The house of prayer. We need to understand that. Prayer has become foreign in the house of the Lord. And I believe the big reason that it's become foreign in the house of the Lord is because it's become foreign in our own homes. Christians in their prayer life are suffering. So I want to I stir. Am I already stirring? Am I already proking? Am I, am I already prodding? Good, good. So let's look at, at Jesus. And listen, the words of Jesus need to, need to matter to us. We talk about first things first. The words of Jesus ought to have a priority. Amen? Focus on the words of Jesus. Study the words of Jesus. Learn the words of Jesus. Amen? Come on, somebody. It's important. Are you with me? Do you agree that the words of Jesus are important? Amen. Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at the words of Christ. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're going to read Matthew 6, 5 through 18. We're really, today, we're going to focus on 5 through 15, but I do want to read through 18 just for some context. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Now, surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them for your father's for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever 
Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And that's model prayer right there. This is Jesus. When giving the example of how we should pray, there's a pattern there. There's a a model there. And I would urge you just to study that. In fact, that that could be your homework assignment this week. Go, Go home and study what we call the Lord's Prayer, could more properly be the Disciples' Prayer. Uh, and you, you think about this, Jesus really didn't need to pray this prayer, right? Forgive my sins. How many of you know we do, right? So this would probably be more accurately called the Disciples' Prayer rather than the Lord's Prayer. This is a, a model prayer, prayer and an example, and I want you, seriously, go, go home and study that out. Write that down. Look at the pattern of it. Right? I don't want to get too much into the pattern of it. We're not going to go into that today. But I would encourage you, go home and study the pattern of this prayer and begin to model that. Think about that. Our Father, how, how would you, how, what, what, are we, what are we saying to the Lord there? Why does that matter? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Exalting God. Reverencing, hallowing his name. That's where we begin in prayer. So look at that model and study that through. Let's, let's read on. In verse 16, moreover... When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Amen. So again, I want, to, I want to focus on verses 5 through 15 today and talk to you a little bit about prayer. All right. The first thing I want to point out in verse 5, he talks about, he says, don't, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray, verse 5, standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets, on the corners of the streets. In other words, don't be somebody who likes to pray for show. Their, their prayer, in fact, uh, another example, it talks about it in fasting, but he also talks about it when you give. Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you pray, when you fast, and when you give. These are things that we, as, as believers, are called to. Prayer, fasting, giving, right? And, and all of these things, he, he says, don't do them to be on display, he talks about in the giving how, how, how they, they make a sound, and he calls it blowing the trumpet, right? Don't blow the trumpet, hey, look at me, I'm about to throw a $100 bill in so that people will see, right? In fact, don't let your right hand know what the left hand is doing. This is a, a, a principle. Give, give in secret. Pray in secret. Fast in secret, not to be seen of men. Because if we do that, we get our reward immediately. You know what your reward is? Your neighbor heard you pray. Your friend knows you're fasting. Somebody knows you gave. Don't do it in public to be seen. Don't put it on display so that you appear to be righteous because it's not what is done in the public that matters it's really the private life. Our what, what, character is, is who we are in private, right? Is this truly who you are? Or are you just doing it to be seen by men? I want to encourage you. And, and listen, there are times corporate prayer is, is, is vital. It matters. Coming together to pray on Sunday mornings, it matters, right? Our, our midweek prayer meetings and, and when we call special prayer and we come together and something amazing transpires. It's powerful when the people of God pray together. But again, we're not doing that to, to try to impress. We're not doing that to be spiritual showboats. It needs to be done with humility and an exaltation of God. right? And what, what Jesus is really talking about here is really the exaltation of our own flesh. We're doing things that are known to be spiritual so that we appear to be spiritual people. Jesus says, don't do it. Don't be like the hypocrites. When you're fasting, don't go bragging about it. Don't let anybody know. Do it in secret, right? 
Because if you, if you do it, if you pray on blast, if you give on blast, if you are fasting and letting everybody in the workplace know, you've got your reward. Right? So don't do that. In, in verse 6, it goes on, it says, go to your room. Shut the door. Go into your prayer closet. Right? I want you to think about that. Do you have a place where you get away to pray? If not, I want to challenge you. Establish one. Find a place where you can get away to pray. Maybe at work it's, it's a, a, a coat closet that nobody knows about. Just uh, don't let anybody see you going in. They're going to think you're crazy. Do you have a place where you can get away from your kids and spend time alone with God? Do you have a secret place of thunder? Do you have a prayer closet? Do you have that secret room where you can go and get away and you can pray? Prayer should be done in secret because prayer is really an intimate thing. Right? It's a very, very intimate thing. I think we're going to see that as we move on. In, in, in fact, in, in the words of that, that sixth verse, he says, your, your father... That, that, how many of you knew people? Oh, great God in heaven, lofty and high, far above the heavens and the earth. Like, they're praying like that. How many of you have heard that? Jesus says, when you pray, our Father. That, that's a relational term. See, it's, it's, and we're going to see this as the, the message goes. This is not some distant God. We have a mediator named Jesus who has brought God near. He's brought us into right standing. He's brought us into relationship with God. This is not some religious exercise. This is a relate, prayer is not a religious exercise. It is a relational exchange. It's, it's a conversation right, that you're having with the heavenly father. He says, go, go to your room, shut the door, pray in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So there's, there's something of secrecy in prayer because there's something of intimacy in our prayer. It is a relational thing, right? My wife and I, sometimes we just need to get away. And we got, we got kids that love to come right in the middle of conversation. Dad, Mom, hey, we're, we're, have, we're, we're talking here. Right? What are y'all talking about? Nunya. My, my kids know what nunya means. This is between Mom, mom and I, right? Those, those, that's what a, a conversation, that's what prayer is. It's a conversation like that between you and God that's none of nobody else's business. That's prayer. It's a relational exchange, not a religious experience. I appreciate what Brother Bobby was, was challenging us with this morning. Amen? Take, take the mask off. This ain't, ain't, hey, you're not fooling anybody. We see your clay feet underneath your religious robe. Right? None of us have it all together. None of us are perfect. None of us, hey, our, our self-righteousness, filthy rags. Right? We won't even get into what that really means, but that, that's nasty stuff. That's what self-righteousness is. Stop pretending like you've got it all together. We don't. We, we approach God through a mediator, Jesus, and that's the only way we're worthy to do it. But because of Christ, we have access. We come boldly to God's throne so we can receive mercy. Amen? And it is a relational exchange. It is not a religious exercise. In verse 7, he says, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Listen, it's, it's not always the most eloquent prayers that are the most effective. I heard uh, Philip Yancey, I can't remember the book, but I was reading a book by Philip Yancey. I think it was, I think it's, a, yeah, it is. It's, it's a book simply called Prayer by Philip Yancey. And he, and he talks about prayer and he, he says that he, he heard one of the most beautiful, powerful prayers of all time in a church service. And here's, here's what the person prayed. It was in the middle of a church service, and the person shouted out and said, Lord, 
I hated this church and I hated these people, but you brought me here and I found grace and you've transformed my life. Thank you for bringing me here. It's not very eloquent, is it? But that was somebody with sincerity praying a prayer from their heart. Oh, Lord God Almighty, thou knowest, God of great wonders and power and might. We don't have to sound rehearsed, poignant, poetic. Just talk to God. That's what prayer is. That, that is the most powerful type of prayer. In James chapter 5, we get a very simple picture of the power of prayer. And we get a, a, a very clear picture of simple prayer. In James chapter 5, verse 13, he says, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's why we actually practice this here at this church. It's not some clever thing that we just thought would look, look cool. You know, like, who, honestly, who wants to go home with olive oil on your forehead? It's not to make people smell better or, you know, freshen up their hair or anything like that. This is not something by man's design. This is what God prescribes in the scripture. If you're sick, go to the elders. Let them lay hands on you. Let them anoint you with oil and pray over you. Right? And here's what happens. Verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I, I believe in prayer. Before we go to, for the aspirin or the Tylenol or the ibuprofen or for the, the ointment in our house, when we've got a sick kid, you know what we do? We believe this. I, I take God at his word. I don't believe that God is a liar. If it's in the word, I believe it. We pray. We have a, my, my son who was up here on the base today, he's not feeling well today. We, my wife and I laid hands on him this morning in the basement and prayed over him. We believe in it. We believe the scripture. The prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise them up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Look at verse 16. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Check this out. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to read the rest of the context. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Do you believe in prayer? The effective, in verse 16, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, who is the righteous man? Let's talk about that for a second. The man who is perfect, the man who never has sinned, who would stand? Not one of us. A righteous person is a person who has his life hidden in Jesus. We have been born again. We've been washed in the blood. We've been saved. We've been trans translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Not because of our good deeds, not because of our own self-righteousness, but because of the blood of the lamb, because of the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And only on that merit can we stand before God. A righteous person, by definition, this is not about you being perfect. It's not about you not saying a cuss word today. It's not about you not looking at somebody the wrong way, saying the wrong thing to somebody, sinning against, that's not what this is about. Have you found a position in Jesus? Have, is your life hidden in him? Have you been buried with him and resurrected into newness of life? That's as simple as that, what it means to be a righteous man. We are the righteousness of God, the Bible says, in Christ Jesus. Not in our good works, 
but in Christ Jesus. We have a position. Are, are we, does that mean we, we, we're, we, we get off scot-free and we're just free to go sin and live any old way? That, no, not at all. We're striving to be followers of Christ. We're striving to pursue him and we, 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 we will sin and we will uh, fall short of God's glory and there's grace to be received. And if we confess our faults, he's faithful to forgive us, right? I thank God that I can stand in the righteousness of Christ and not in my own. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you look at the, the wording there, effective. Here, here's, here's a great translation for you. Authentic. Fervent. Literally, you, you go look at the Greek word there, it means red hot. Here, here's what he's saying. If you pray as a righteous man in Christ, pray an authentic red hot sir, uh, prayer, it avails. In other words, don't fake pray. In other words, if that prayer doesn't mean anything, if it's not a red hot prayer and it doesn't really mean anything to you, it doesn't mean anything to God. But when we authentically, with our passion and our heart and enthusiasm and earnestness, come to God and say, Lord, I need you to move in my life, God hears. The effectual, fervent prayer, the authentic, red-hot prayers of a righteous man avails much. Amen? Last thing that I want to point out in this, this passage, that doesn't mean I'm closing yet, just so you know. The last thing I want to point out in this passage before I really start preaching. <laughs> Verse 8. Your father knows the things you have need. This is Matthew 6, 8. Your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. I want, I want us to understand this. Prayer is not an exercise of informing God of anything because he already knows. Prayer is an exercise of faith. Prayer is an exercise of relational exchange. How many of you have ever seen your kids in need? How many of you have ever seen, have just stood back and watched them kind of work through it? And when they come to you and said, Dad, Mom, I need some help, how many of you turned them away? Now, maybe you didn't give them the money that they wanted or bail them out or whatever it was, but you didn't turn them away, right? That's what prayer is. We're not informing God of anything. He already knows. God knows. God knows you're a lazy bum who hasn't been to work for three months and you've got two months behind on your, he knows. God knows what the doctor's report was. God knows where your teenagers are at. So when you bring that petition, that request, that need before the Lord, he's not surprised. You're not informing of anything. What's happening, though, there's, a, there's an exchange, a faith exchange. There's a relational exchange that happens. And there's something that activates on the inside of us through relationship with God that begins to work in our situation and circumstance. And I'm going to tell you this, that, that God is more interested in prayer and doing something in us than he is really about changing our circumstances and situations. When, when you come to understand that, your, 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 your uh, prayer life will really get some wheels. I, I may have a financial situation. I may have a health situation. I may have a relational situation. I may have a situation in the church that I want to change. But when I pray, do I ask God to change? Absolutely. But we need to pray and ask God, Lord, what do you want to change in me? Why is this, is this relational conflict? Lord, is there something in me that needs to change to get this relationship healthy? Why, why do I have this financial need? Lord, is there something in me that needs to change so I can get healthy? Why do I have this health thing going on in my... Lord, is there something in me 
By all means, bring those needs, bring those requests, bring your petitions to the Lord, but also inquire of the Lord. Lord, what in me do you desire to do? Always approach our prayer like that. And, and this is not in my notes, just extra little tidbit for here. This is the most powerful concept that I've learned about prayer. You don't know what it is? Shut up. It's the most powerful thing that you can do in your prayer time. Shut your mouth, and we're going to talk about this on Wednesday night, and listen for the voice of God. Prayer is not a one-way dialogue. Lord, here's my laundry list. I need you to pay my bills. I need you to restore this relationship. I need you to heal my body. I need you to uh, do this at the church. I need you this, this, and this, and this. I'm out of time. See you later. Do you talk to your wife like that? Okay, now we understand why you need marriage counseling. Right? Conversations are two-way. A conversation with God is two-way. And God still speaks. Right? There's a still small voice. There's a prompting of the Holy Spirit. He will lead you to his word and give you an answer. He will direct your path. He will order your steps. He will move in your situation and circumstance. Amen? All right, so there's some practical principles. So that, that's the preaching of Jesus. How about the model of Jesus? You know that Jesus actually models this, this little segment that he preached in this sermon? He actually models it? Here it is. It's in Luke chapter 5. I love these three verses. This, this is so powerful when you look at these three verses together. Luke chapter 5, verse 15. The news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. There's a demand on Jesus' ministry. And this, this one's not in, your, in, in the overhead. So Luke chapter 5, verse 15. <clears throat> There's a demand on the ministry of Jesus. Right? They're hearing the wonderful things. They're hearing about the miracles that Jesus is performing. And so they are flocking to Jesus. I mean, like they're, they're making calls. Come to our village. Come to my house. There's a demand on the ministry of Jesus. If you're in ministry, it's demanding. People will make demands on you. They'll make demands on your time. They'll, they'll make demands on your relationship. They'll, they'll make demands on your, your, your capabilities. But just, just in life in general, how many of you figured out it's pretty demanding? Your boss wants something out of you. Your kids want something. Your spouse wants something out of you. Your pastor wants something out of you. Everybody wants something out of you, right? Life can be demanding. Here's an encouraging word for you. Don't live your life according to the demands. Don't do ministry according to the demands. You know what Jesus did when the demands came? Look at the next verse. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Another translation said Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray in seclusion. Jesus didn't march to the beat of the crowd. He didn't order his life according to the demands of people. He moved to a rhythm that his father set. And so when the demands of life came, you know what he did? He would slip away and recalibrate. Father, they're asking me to do this. I'm coming to you today, and I'm not going to say anything unless I hear you say it. And I'm not going to do anything unless I see it done in heaven. That's the way that Jesus ordered his life. Verse 15 is the demand of ministry. Verse 16 is the priority of prayer. And then I love this. Look at verse 17. 
One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, and they, they had come from every village of Galilee and of, uh, from Jer Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Did you see that? Verse 15, the demand of ministry. Verse 16, the priority of prayer. Verse 17, the power of God. If you set your clock to the demands of men, when there's a need for withdrawal for power, you won't have it. If all you do is serve, 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 serve people, serve your kids, serve your wife, serve the church, serve your neighborhood, serve your boss. Anybody feel drained? Anybody ready to tap out? Can't take any more? You know what you need to do? Do what Jesus did. Slip away. Go to a lonely place. Get out in the wilderness away from all of the noise, away from all the demands of the crowds, the life, the demands of ministry, everything that is knocking on your door, all of the emails that are bombarding you, get away, get with God. And when you show back up, you know what you'll come with? Power. You will not draw from an empty well because you have been with the Father and he has filled you up. Amen? See, how many of you have figured out life is, is chaotic? And we live in a culture that's all about increase. I need a job that pays more. I need a bigger bank account. I need a bigger house. I need a bigger car. I need the better, the, 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 the new, the next. We live in a world where people are pursuing and chasing this rat race and wondering why they're empty. It's not about the great increase. It should be about the great decrease. Here's one of the beautiful things about power, prayer. Prayer is an eliminator. Prayer will give you focus. Later on in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will say this. If your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. If, in other words, if you've got a focus, there will be clarity. If your eye is single... Light. Right? Some of you can't figure out where the confusion's coming from. It's from your three dogs, your 12 kids, your two ex-wives. You're in college as well, trying to finish your degree. Right? You're coming to church every third week. And you can't figure out what's the chaos. Get a focus. Prayer gives us focus. Prayer allows us to hone in on the purposes of God. You know what Jesus did when he slipped away to get alone? All, he, he could have prayed for 5,000 people. He could have gone to this town. He could have gone to that town. He could have raised the dead. He, there's so many things he could have done. But when he got away, slipped away to be with the Father, he came back with focus. He came back with clarity. We need focus. It's not about the daily increase. It's about the daily decrease. In prayer, you know what we can do? We can hack away at the unnecessary. One of the most challenging job, or aspects of, the, of the, the role of being a pastor, do you know what it is? I don't know. I'm looking at, I don't know, 100, 125 people out there today. Every one of you have an expectation for me. Every Sunday, I encounter demands. Pastor, you should do this. Pastor, you should do that. Pastor, we need to start this. You should preach about this. Why'd you say that? You should have said this. Guess what? There's good news. I'm here to please him. 
Man, you don't know what a relief that is. And I love you. I love every one of you. And I want every one of you to have your needs met. I want you to be spiritually happy and healthy. I want you to prosper. I want health. I want blessing. I want you to know Jesus and do well. And I want you to start a ministry and flourish in that ministry. I want all of those things. You have to get away and you have to pray. You have to say, Lord, we, we could start an outreach here. Small group there, ladies thing here, prayer meeting there. We could have a worship night there. You know what happens? You get away and you pray and you say, Lord, part of the, part of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Prayer is the place in your life where the will of God is discerned. I love Clayton. I'm sitting here looking at Clayton right now. That beautiful green shirt, he just stands out. The most important thing at Return Church is not Clayton's will. It's not Pastor Chad's will. It's not Patricia's will. Right? I want God's will to be done at Return. That's the power of prayer. Prayer is where prayer and the word is where we will determine the will of God. Do I turn left or do I turn right? Do I do A or do I do B? Or do I do none of them? And sit at the feet of Jesus. Remember Mary and Martha? Martha was busy. Right? And Jesus, what, is, what was his words? Mary, Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary's just hanging out. She's, she's reclined on the couch. I mean, Martha looks real spiritual. She's working. She's getting the meal ready and cleaning the house. But what did Jesus say? Mary has chosen the better part. See, sometimes what we think is the better part ain't the better part. Right? What, what is Jesus saying about it? All right, I got way more notes than I got time. So this, this all started, and I've got two more messages for sure in the next two weeks. This started out as one message. And as I was preparing on Friday, I heard the words of a, an old preacher that, that uh, poured a lot into me. I, I preached a sermon at his church one time, and he said, that was good preaching. It would have made a good sermon series. <laughs> I wonder why we land the plane about 13 times on Sunday morning. We're not, we don't learn. We're, just, we're like circle in the airport. Here's the truth. I probably always preach too long. I never feel like I had enough time to preach. I never get to say everything I want to say. But that's all right. Question. I want to move us towards a point here as we wrap up. Do, do, we, do we view prayer? Let's, let's be honest. Let's do an honest assessment. Everybody, close your eyes. Let's, let's do, this is the most honest way we can do assessment. Lay, lay your, forehead on, your hand on your forehead and say, Holy Spirit. Come on, say it loud. Holy Spirit, come and shine the light in my heart. Show me what's in there. That's, that's Psalm 51. Right? Let's, let's allow the Holy Spirit to shine the light in our hearts. Let's hear what the Holy Spirit has to say about this. I'm going to ask you a question. And let the Holy Spirit shine the light. Let's be honest. Do we see prayer as an obligation? Or is it a passion? There are people in marriage because of obligation. Have you ever, have you ever seen that where one of, the, one of the spouses stays in the relationship until the kids graduate and then takes off? They feel like they, they were obligated 
to be a good example to their kids. You know, like leaving after high school was not going to have a negative impact on their kids. They're, they're in relationship because of obligation. The passion of that relationship is gone. I, I believe this. I believe that most Christians view their prayer life as an obligation. They, they don't understand the relational exchange. They don't understand that it, it, it's a conversation between the God of the universe, the God who created you, the one who died on a cross to save you. Next week, the message is going to be about this, the effects of prayer in relationships and the effects of relationships on prayer. Your prayer life, it's, it's, it's a relational thing. It will affect all of your relationships. My prayer life affects the way that I'm going to relate. As a pastor, I'm going to relate to you as a part of this body. If I'm not prayed up, I will be nasty and disgusting towards people. I'll, I'll resent people. I'll hold grudges. You name it. If I'm not prayed up, you know what I'll do? I'll use people for my motive to meet my needs. Prayer affects the way that I relate to this church, to this body. Prayer affects the way that I relate to my spouse, to, to Rachel. It, it affects the way that I relate to my kids. We're going to talk deeply about this next week. The effects of prayer in relationship and the effects of relationships and prayer. You know that if your relationships aren't healthy, it will hinder your prayer. Many, many examples of that in Scripture. So we have to understand this. There, there is something of relational exchange that's beyond uh, the, 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 the ability with our eyes and our human understanding to, to grasp. It's something that only can be discerned through the Spirit. This is something of a God dimension that can only be experienced through the Holy Spirit working in our lives. I want to read one more passage and we are done. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I don't think this passage made it into the presentation. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings, I don't want to just glaze over. I want us, this second verse, I want you to really hear this verse. Christians in America today need to hear this verse. There's a difference in hearing and having heard. Faith comes by hearing and having. You, you need to hear this verse today. Hear this verse. Petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving needs to be made for all people, for kings, for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all good, godliness and holiness. You know what we enjoy doing when it comes to our kings, to our authorities, to our politicians? We love to smear them slander them. Let me ask you a sincere question as a pastor. When was the last time you prayed, made intercession for Joe Biden? Think about it. There's a lot of things I don't like about Joe Biden. There was a lot I didn't like about Donald Trump. And there was a lot that I didn't like about Barack Obama and George Bush, and Bill Clinton, and we can go down the list. I've prayed for all of them. How many of you have ever heard me slander or smear a politician? I refuse to do it. You know why? Whether I like them or not, they are representatives set where they are by God Almighty. And to put my mouth on them 
is to thumb my nose in the face of God. That's a reality. That's biblical. We are called to pray for them. Pray for them. Listen, I believe if we would stop all of the nasty slander that we put out on Facebook and if we would stop all of the political bickering and all this stuff that we do and we would just start to pray for our leaders, we would see our nation change. I believe that with every fiber of my heart. That needs to get through to us in the church. We've got to change our approach. We have to. Or look, look where our nation's at. You know why our nation's where it's at today? Because intercession is missing in the church. It has nothing to do with the White House. It has everything to do with the church house. That's truth. Does not matter who is in the White House. Doesn't matter who's in Congress. Doesn't matter who our senators are. The, the White House cannot control the upper room. A praying church will turn a nation. Truth, truth of the matter, the system is corrupt. The majority of the men are corrupt. Why have we put so much weight and confidence in that? It's the system of the world. We have to understand that principalities and powers are under the thrones of heaven. They are subject to the authority of Lord God Almighty. And that when we pray, we move the hand of God. We need to understand that. It's time, church, to pray for our leaders and our nation. This is good and pleases God our Savior, verse 3 says, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. The only way we can pray, the only way we can approach God is through Jesus. It needs to be said. We don't pray to saints. The saints. Mary is not a mediator. Jude is not a mediator. Popes are not mediators. I, the pastor, am not your mediator between you and God. I don't want to be the middleman between you and God. I want, you, I want to be a pastor who's teaching people to have their own relationship, that they can go boldly to the throne for themselves. They can get in the word and understand what they're reading. They have a prayer life, and they can connect with God on their own. Because what happens when we put men as the meters, they become manipulators. Right? You need to have your own walk. Right? And, you, and listen, pastoring is important. Shepherding is important. Watching for people, that, that's important. I don't, I'm not trying to diminish the, the role or responsibility of a pastor. But we need to have our own relationship with God through Christ Jesus, not through another man. Because there's only one mediator. Amen? Only one mediator. And he gave himself, verse 6 says, I didn't die for you. Mary didn't die for you. The Pope didn't die for you. None of the saints died for you. Jesus died for you. And it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ and the work of the cross that we can ha have connection with God. Jesus died for you. Amen? He gave himself a ransom for all people. This has been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. And I'm telling the truth. I am not lying and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, check this out. I want the men. Somebody say men. men. And this is man, like men. This is male. We believe in genders at this church. God believes in genders. This is a call for men. From the Apostle Paul to pray. I want men, therefore, everywhere to pray. Lifting up holy hands without anger and disputing. Can I preach to the men for just a second? Men, it's vital that you lift your hands, your holy hands, not because you're perfect, but because of the blood of Jesus. You lift your holy hands and pray. Your wife needs it. Your kids need it church needs it. We need praying men. There's an order of God. It's not some controlling patriarchy. There's an order, the ways of God. And he has made men, we made us to be priests of our homes. And we are to lead in our homes. 
And we are to lead in the house of God in prayer. More important than getting up and going to work in the morning. That's important. Providing for your family. More important than dating your wife. And that's important. More important than being there for your kids. And that's important. Men, we need to pray. More important than you showing up for a work day at the church, pray. More important than you joining the hospitality team or the media team. Men, we need you to pray. Pray. Let's stand together. Pray. I want to look back at the fourth verse in that passage we just read, 1 Tim chapter 2, verse 4. God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. My wife made a statement during worship about the mercy of God, like the race cars at the starting line. I want everybody, if you didn't hear anything that I've preached today, I want you to hear this. God is revving his engine, and he's ready to come after you. You're the one with the starter's flag. When you wave the flag, zero to 120, God's going to show up with mercy. There's only one thing hindering you from having a relationship with God. It's your own will, your own pride, your own stubbornness. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for your salvation. He uttered the word, it is finished. It's finished. You know what happened at that point? The veil was torn. The veil was a curtain in the temple that was symbolic of sin that separated man from God. Because of sin, we could not come into the presence of God. God was veiled. God was hidden from us because of our sin. When Jesus said it is finished, the veil was torn. And the way into the holies of holies was opened. There's only one way to God. There's only one mediator between God and man. And it's the man Christ Jesus. You know what it takes for you to be saved? You come to Jesus and say, I surrender. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm receiving the the free gift of salvation. You can't work to be saved. You can't jump through enough hoops to be saved. None of us in this room are good enough to be saved. Not even my wife, and she's pretty good. None of us. It's only by what Christ has done for us. If you're in this room, and you know, and we we know, we know when we have a relationship with God, and we know when we don't. If you're not standing in right relationship with God through Jesus today, I don't do this a lot, but why don't we bow our heads, close our eyes. If that's you, right where you're at, I want you to slip your hand up. Pastor Chad, I need to get into a right relationship with my Heavenly Father. So hands going up. Amen. I'm going to pray for you right where you're at. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you for your blood. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for salvation and what you have done for us. It is your work. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person who raised a hand today. Move in their lives. Father, I pray that they would come to a place, Lord God, of surrender and yielding. They would stop resisting you. And Lord, that you would come into their lives, reveal yourself to them. I declare right now in the name of Jesus, everything changes. 
Your word says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, and the old things have passed away, and everything has become new. Father, we thank you for it, and we give you praise for it today. In Jesus' name, amen.